0: So, you have no idea how pumped up I feel doing this. And I feel it's a real privilege to be asked to speak on a topic which is so dear to my heart and has been since not long after I became a Christian. Uh, So, I guess I was much more interested in it when I probably told most of the story, but my life was saved when God spoke to me in a car coming back near Basingstoke, And if I hadn't listened to what he said and got off the road... I wouldn't be here, and Mandy would have been widowed after only three months of marriage, so um, yeah, and it's fascinated me ever since, so uh, I don't know if you recall, but this is the, probably the last, I think it is, in this series that we have of six topics, Uh, so I wonder if you can name them, caring, welcoming, diverse, gracious, apostolic, and uh, here we are at The Prophetic. And I want to say thanks to the leaders because this could have been done a lot earlier had it not been for surgery and one or two other things happening in my life. And so it's just a real privilege to be able to stand here and go through this with you. Um, I don't have three topics. You know, most preachers say do three topics and this sort of stuff. I've got three areas in good training fashion. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. And then we're going to do it, and I'm going to tell you where we've been. Okay, is that all right? Okay. Um, and I have to say there are uh, three books in particular, apart from the Scriptures, which have helped me put this together, and which I've been reading and so on a long period of time. Um, back in 1976, this book was published, which is Prophecy, Exercising the Prophetic Gifts of the Spirit in the Church <laughs> Body by a guy called Bruce Yoakum. Um, And I'll come on to one of his uh, sayings, statements, quotes a little later. But that book, published in 1976, uh, became more or less a textbook for the growing sort of charismatic movement. And was taken on board primarily at first, and Ben, you'll be pleased about this, by the Assemblies of God. In the way that they approached it and the doctrine and so on that he brought forward. And then through... People like Gerald Coates, the Pioneer Movement, and grew and grew. So it became... I bought this copy in 1978. <laughs> it is still available secondhand. It's not in print anymore, but it's available secondhand. Uh, there's another book which shaped my thinking on this. Some of you may have heard of a guy called David Watson. Died in 1984, sadly, of cancer, but he um, went to St. Michael the Belfry, up in York, right at the base of York Minster but he started with a church of 10 people that was dying and three years later had a church of 350 to 400 people. Superb evangelist. And he wrote this book on discipleship, very, very challenging book. And in there, there's a section on the prophetic and the way it works into the way that we evangelize. And the other book I wanted to refer to, but then remembered I passed it on, was a book called Prophetic Evangelism. By Dr. Mark Stibbey. That is still in print. Superb book, and I want to reference some of that a little bit later on. Is that okay? So, um, what we're going to do? We're going to do an introduction, as I'm doing, and how the prophetic works in practice, and give you some examples on that. What prompts the prophetic? So, how and in what context can we expect the prophetic to arise? How can we grow as people? As a church, in and outside of our meetings. And I want to emphasize here that the prophetic can happen anywhere. It's not restricted to us being inside our church meetings or small groups or whatever. We believe, don't we, that God is everywhere? And if God is everywhere, He can speak to us anywhere. Okay? Whether that's inside here or out there, and with our neighbors, our friends, our relatives. Our schools, our colleges, our workplace, you know, we can tap into what God is saying and carry his grace and mercy with us. So, emphasizing that, it's not just about our meetings, okay? How do we live prophetic lives, okay? How is a church prophetic? How does that happen? And then I'll be summarizing at the end and then passing back to Nancy to talk about maybe some other bits and pieces, let see if this works, we? Oh, yeah, okay, fine. Excellent. So, <coughs> Paul envisaged the gift of prophecy as a natural, healthy expression of the local church. So you read in Corinthians, when you come together, earnestly desire spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. That's from 1 Corinthians 14. Now, look, I know there are some of you that like to take notes, looking at Eric in particular, um, but, but others may. I'm not going to have time to read all the scriptures. Uh, We've got a lot to cover. And so what I've done, I've got printed summary notes which have all the detailed scriptures in them. And if you really wanted to refer to those, I'll probably leave them on the piano or something here at the end of it as 10 copies. If if we run out, which would be great, let me know and I can send you one, okay? That's fine. If you want to look at them privately or in small group meetings, however you want to do it. But all the scriptures are embedded in that and I do have a set of the basic notes there. there's one other piece of paper I put out there, but I will come to that a little later. So, even in the Old Testament, you know, in Numbers 11, God declares this. He said, he, he declares his desire to speak with and through his people. So this is not just a, a New Testament. We know the major prophets and all the rest of it. But even back then in Numbers, God wanted, he desired his people to speak prophetically. To actually So that the word of God would spread. The spirit of God would be known. But there's some important things to recognize here. First of all, prophecy outside of the Scriptures is not infallible. You know, we think of the Old Testament prophets and so on, that's in Scripture, and we even know that some of those prophecies have yet to be fulfilled. So we can wait on those. But certainly in New Testament times, we cannot regard the prophetic as infallible. Um, So it's got to be within Paul's context, now he said about the gift, but one of those was we prophesy in part in 1 Corinthians 13. So anything we say, anything that we come out with is under the authority of Scripture. Okay? That's in 1 Corinthians 14, and it needs to be tested and weighed. Uh, short words, that's where we come up and we talk to people, but if it's longer stuff, we probably need to write it down and submit it. Uh, you'll find that in 1 Thessalonians 5. I would say, therefore, and this is a personal view, but hey, we need to be quite cautious of people who stand up and say, Thus says the Lord, because it might only be part. Okay? It's not infallible. In fact, it's, some people might think that prophetic is always about the future, but it's not. Uh, It can be. It can be a sense of the now but not yet, as with some of the biblical prophecies. Um, But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, prophecy is for encouragement, consolation, and the building up of God's people. Nothing about predictive stuff there. So we need to test and weigh the prophetic quite carefully. How does it work in practice? Well, let me give you some definitions first of all. And I'm just leaving these plain slides up here like this rather than phasing them in and running. If you want to take notes and take the headings down, you've got plenty of time to do. So a couple of definitions, one from uh, Bruce Yocum and one from David Watson here. Prophecy is the supernatural ability to speak, act, or interpret in other ways the mind of God on a given subject at a given time, by the help of the Holy Spirit. The next one is, prophecy is putting into words or action something God has brought to mind. So what sort of action? Well, if we think of the, of the guy called Agabus, uh, referenced in the New Testament in Acts, there are two. Firstly, he predicted the famine that came to Jerusalem. If you remember the brothers elsewhere collected money and sent to Jerusalem to help them through there. So that's speaking out something from God. But on another occasion, with Paul, i not sure what I'd feel like if someone did this to me, but he took Paul's belt off and then bound Paul's hands with that belt to show in action what was going to happen to Paul, that he would be taken captive. And of course, then he went off to Rome. You know, so... Um, it can be words or actions. And again, I emphasize the prophetic, hearing from God can arise in any circumstance. So God wants to speak to his people anywhere and everywhere. Um, yeah. Let's move on to how the prophetic works in practice. Now, I've God will move how God wants to move. You know, we can't just time down, but if I look through the scriptures and reading the books that talk about this sort of stuff, uh, there's a series of tendencies, if you like, the way that God works things. So, oracles. Uh, The Greeks had the oracle at Delphi, but all that meant was they were getting some wisdom. Now, it turns out that the oracle, usually a female, dwelled in a cave at Delphi, and that cave was absolutely... Uh, well, there was ethylene gas seeping up from underneath. And so this person, whoever it was, was high on ethylene, so trance-like. So what sort of wisdom that was, probably not God's. But what we mean by oracles in our culture, in the New Testament, is bringing godly wisdom or clarity, understanding into situations that people may find a little difficult. You know, talking with people, just ask God for wisdom. Prophetic exaltation. And within that, that's encouragement. Coming alongside the people. The Holy Spirit, the, the paraclete. And we talk about paraclesis, the coming alongside people to encourage, to support, to help. Okay? Prophetic prayer. Praying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but bringing uh, maybe praying in line with the Scriptures, or even praying with the Scriptures. Uh, again, by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you know those moments you get. You just think, you know what? There's a Scripture coming to mind. Well, I don't know where it is, but I know what it says. Yeah, go with it. Uh, prophetically reading Scripture, again in us, so, you know, wherever we are most probably in a meeting to start with, but hey, that can happen anywhere. I remember Mandy and I opening scriptures up to people we were just out walking with, just bringing scriptures, bringing God's love and mercy as unfolded in the scriptures. Personal prophecy. So it can be to an individual, such as in 2 Samuel 12, where Nathan comes to David after David's committed adultery, and tells David a story, and David agrees how unjust it is. And then, of course, it dawns that he's actually talking about what David's done as well, and David repents. So it can be a personal prophetic work. uh, Or, again, with Agabus that I mentioned, with Paul, Agabus had a personal message that God was giving him for Paul, and then he acted out the binding of his hands. We need to be a little bit careful how we home in on the detail of some prophecy. Uh, so, for example, Agabus said that this was the way that the Jews would take him captive. But it wasn't actually the Jews. What happened is the Romans stepped in to protect Paul from the Jews, but they still bound him and took him away. And, you know, without going to. Well, you know, we talk about Jesus being crucified by the Jews. But again, who actually did it, you know? It was the Romans. So let's not get too bound up in the minutiae of some of these things and look at the thrust of what these prophecies say. Prophetic visions or dreams? <laughs> visions generally when you're awake, dreams when you're generally asleep, unless you daydream, you know. Um, <laughs> So, uh, maybe that's why Joel says that the young men will have visions and older men will dream dreams, because maybe we spend longer asleep. But hey, you know, so, okay. Um, yeah, either is valid. And I tend to get things in dreams, particularly the longer words, but not just the odd dream because I've had too much cheese the night before. When God gives me important stuff, He gives it exactly the same on several nights and then tells me to wake up, get up, and write it down. That's the bargain I had with him. I said, Lord, if you're going to speak to me, it's got to be at a time when there's no interruption, because I'm easily distracted. And so uh, we agreed on 4 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) So, oh, really? You know, anyway, yeah. Uh, But, you know, ask God to speak to you. Why not? He wants to speak to his children. We need to have our spiritual antennae up, really, at all times. At this point, I was very tempted to borrow my granddaughter's little Alice band with the two springy things on it. Uh, you know, but I, she said, you'd look silly in it, Grandpa. Thought, all right. okay. uh, prophetic actions. So in Jeremiah 27, for example, he was, the Lord asked Jeremiah to put a yoke around his neck to demonstrate that Israel was going to be taken somewhere they may not want to go into exile, and in Ezekiel 12, Ezekiel was told to start packing his belongings for a long journey, to stay away, again, relating to the exile, to demonstrate to the Israelites that, you know, this was going to happen, this was something that he was doing as a a, a prophetic uh, example to them. Prophetic lives, I want to talk a little bit more about that later, but quick definition, carrying God's grace, love, wisdom, care with us wherever we go and whoever we're with. That is prophetic. Uh, carrying that presence of God, the Holy Spirit presence of God into all situations. And within the concept of prophetic evangelism, I just want to read to you... If I can find it, yes... Um, what does that mean? It means praying about the meetings we're going to have, or possibly have, with our neighbors, with our work colleagues, with the people at university, wherever. Praying that God would gift us knowledge, gift us information that will be relevant to those situations that we're finding ourselves in. I can't tell you the number of times, really. I mean, Mandy and I were just discussing stuff with neighbours and friends. We'd pray about this beforehand. And things would just open up. Amazingly, we prayed and God answered amazingly. Uh, So, you know, talking to people uh, who suddenly declare, you know, we're fed up with life, think I'll go out and join the JWs or something. Oh, hold on. And God had given us wisdom about what to say and how to say that in a circumstance where that arose. And I remember our previous next-door neighbors in Yately, that was one such conversation. They said that at half-past three. We left there at seven in the morning and took them to church with us. So, you know, because we were able to bring God's love and mercy in there, first of all, and then, of course, explain the gospel, and they gave their lives to Christ. Absolutely amazing. It happens, folks. Pray about it before you meet up with people. What Mark Stibbe said in the foreword is this to his book, Prophetic Evangelism, and I do recommend it. It's a great book. God wants to use Christians to speak prophetically into the lives of unbelievers, waking them up to the fact that Jesus is alive and he knows their every thought, word, and action. Christians today receive prophecies for those who don't know Christ, often with immediate and life-changing effects. Uh, So what prompts the prophetic? How and in what context does it actually happen? Do we receive these words? And again, emphasizing not just in meetings like this. Okay. So let me give you another definition. Uh, prophecy is the verbalized or acted expression of God's thoughts through a spiritually inspired person of faith, transmitted or acted out to a particular person. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Or group of people at a particular moment in their lives and for a particular purpose. Do you want me to read that again? Prophecy is the verbalized or acted expression of God's thoughts through a spiritually inspired person of faith. It's transmitted or acted out to a particular person or group of people at a particular moment for a particular purpose. One of the things that Bruce Yocum said about all this is that God has an intense desire to speak to his people. If you do not believe that God is willing to speak to us, then you don't really understand God. I found that challenging. Do you? Shall I read it again? God has an intense desire to speak to his people. If you don't believe that God is willing to speak to us, then you don't really understand God. Wow. So let's look at what might prompt a prophetic. And I'm bearing in mind here that we as individuals form the church, part of the church. So I'll get on to what a prophetic church looks like in a moment, all right? So look, we can have a situation, such as in a meeting, where we get uh, an overflow of heightened Holy Spirit activity. So if there's been a lot of spiritual giftings in a meeting, it's easier in a way to sort of work it through and receive God's prophetic words at times like that. That's not to say it needs to be hyped up, but if God is working through his Holy Spirit, then I guess the signals are a bit stronger for us to receive okay through a process of inquiry what do i mean by that well for example in 1 samuel 16 god sends samuel to jesse to seek out david of course as king and samuel says to god well how can i go if saul hears about it he'll kill me and then God gives him further instructions about how to get there on the quiet. And yeah, anyway, so yeah, inquiry of God. We've talked about visions and dreams. I say visions generally while well awake. Now a bubbling up of words or actions. I don't know if you know this, but the Hebrew, the old Hebrew for the word prophet, is nabi, which means bubble up, to boil over. And so a bubbling up of Holy Spirit activity just leading to, you know, exhortation and all those other ways that we can bring the prophetic. A prompting as to scriptures to use. Inspiration from the Holy Spirit. God challenging us to see things spiritually. Now, I said last week about the fence panel that I noticed was bust my immediate negative reaction was, oh no, here we go again. And then God said to me, what do you really see? I say, well, I see a fence panel that needs a lot of repair. No, what do you really, really see? And I see a fence panel that's still doing its job, it's standing, it needs a bit of damage repair. And we're all damaged and broken in some way. And God allows us to stand and to do what it is that he wants us to do, even when we are damaged people. So what do we really see? We can get words of knowledge, if we pray about it, particularly, of course, for neighbours, friends or strangers, for healing or some sort of special wisdom, and Mark Stibbe raises all of those issues in his book, Prophetic Evangelism. And we can feel a sense a growing burden and prayer for a neighbor, our work colleagues, schools, communities, or some other situation or scenario that we are in or are likely to find ourselves in. How can we grow in this? Well, first of all, don't accept the status quo. God wants to speak to us. It's a question of spiritual antenna, maybe, and tuning into the right channels for It's not the person, first of all, we've got to pray. It's not the person so much as their relationship with God and their motivation that matters. We read in Scripture, of, for example, you know, the gathering of swine, you know, talking about Jesus as Lord, but it was coming from a totally wrong point of view. It was satanic. The servant girl that Paul cast the evil spirit out, she was saying the right things but it was coming from the wrong place. Don't give in or try not to give in to doubt. Step out in faith. I'm being attacked. I I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You You might get it a bit wrong, particularly if you're starting out, but hey, we're friends, aren't we? What God gives you first is likely to be what he wants you to bring. And I can't remember the number of occasions I've sat there in various communities and at times thinking, nah, that's, that can't be right. Cannot be right. Now, look, give me a. And then somebody else stands up instead and brings exactly the same thing. It's like God says, okay, if you're not going to do it, I'm going <laughs> to pass it on. And he think, oh, okay. Try not to come into doubt. Learn to follow and not ignore spirit inspired promptings and hunches. God's communicating with you through his Holy Spirit. Be prepared to accept what he says. Okay. Keep asking questions of God about what you see or perceive. If there's things you don't really understand, ask for clarification. Okay. Ask God to give you that extra comprehension of what he wants you to be springing, doing. So be at peace, above all else, over this. If you're in an environment where a lot of people are bringing prophecy, don't feel pressure that you have to do something. If you're not hearing, you're not hearing. Okay? Stop when God stops. Don't feel tempted to embellish or to boast about stuff or whatever else. Stop when God stops. And be gracious and demonstrate God's love. Don't be harsh or judgmental. God is love, God is grace. There's no judgment. Okay, what does living prophetically mean? Well, I've alluded to some of this already. Um, it's reflecting God's nature and wisdom in what we say and do wherever we are and no matter who we're with. It's choosing the kingdom way wherever we are. There's a lot of choices out there in a the big bad world. It's not a very holy place. Quite often, choose the kingdom way. I want to give you some examples first of all, and then talk about what that says to us. Uh, so, William Wilberforce, one of my heroes, he toiled away, toiled away, for well over twenty years against trade slaving. No, sorry, slave trading. Wrong way around. Slave trading. Um, it 's quite interesting that uh, Bob used uh, uh, amazing grace earlier on. Uh, actually, did you know that william wilberforce 's Christian mentor was actually John Newton okay who was also uh, an ex well convert you know, sorry, converted, but he had been a slave trader uh, and when, New- well, when Wilberforce was quite young, he was mentoring Wilberforce in Christian things. So, Slavery Abolition Act went through Parliament on July the 26th, 1833. Wilberforce was so tired out with this work that he died just three days later, but knowing that he'd been successful. Anthony Ashley Cooper, otherwise known as the 7th Earl of Shaftesbury, he, again, toiled to alleviate long working hours and poor conditions for children. remember children were used to, early Victorian times, they were the ones that clambered up the chimneys and toiled away and, you know, conditions were dreadful. Uh, one of my heroes, George Muller, set up an orphanage in Bristol and lived entirely by faith. He did not solicit donations. If people wanted to give spontaneously, they could, but he lived by faith, prophetically lived by faith. So my favorite story from the biographies is that there's Muller, there's no food in the cupboard. And yet the children still come down and they sit down for breakfast. And Muller, George Muller, prayed Thanks for the breakfast they were about to receive with nothing in the cupboard. Just at that moment, (laughs) a bread van broke down outside the uh, orphanage. And it wasn't going to go anywhere, it was a serious breakdown, and so the entire van load of bread, cakes, buns (laughs) was offloaded into the orphanage. And they all had breakfast. If ever you're in Bristol and you get a morning or an afternoon free, try going to the Muller Museum. It's an amazing example of Christian faith in today's world, in Bristol. There we go. Elizabeth Fry, prison reform, especially for women. Women, Prison conditions for women were appalling. And Elizabeth Fry campaigned and campaigned and campaigned. Um, Yeah. Harold Moody, a Jamaican. Came to the UK very bravely and then campaigned against rich, racial prejudice in the UK. These people are all people of faith, all trying to do what God was telling them to do, living out the kingdom way in a situation where there's a lot of vested interest not to do anything about it. Okay. I'd like to add one other to the list, which is my wonderful ex-wife, yeah, um, late wife, Mandy. From the moment I knew her, she wanted to do things at the kingdom way. Helping those that were dispossessed, disadvantaged, down and out, homeless. And right to the end, she was faithful in doing that. Amazing. So, after all that, what's a prophetic church? a couple of statements here from a guy called Glenn Packiam. He got a degree in theology at Durham, uh, was very good friends with a lot of the restoration, people like, um, what was it, the name escapes me, but certainly people like Terry Virgo and others, and he's now back in the U.S., uh, but when he wrote this, he was pastor of Colorado Springs New Life Church. Um, He's now in Santa Mesa, at would work in a lot with the underprivileged Im- immigrants that are coming in. But uh, this guy knows what a prophetic church is. And again, I found these statements incredibly challenging. Through preaching and practical action, the church is at its prophetic best when it lives and acts in a way that would make no sense unless Jesus is king and his kingdom really were arriving here and now. Ooh. Every time we show the gods of our age to be false and expose their claims as a lie, we are speaking the truth to power. So a prophetic church has acceptance of the prophetic at its core. Okay? In particular, when prophecy may have an impact on the forward direction and life of the church as a whole, it's a given responsibility that sorry guys church leadership <laughs> considers the ways in which to bring the prophetic to life within the church community. It's interesting, there are expressions of faith out there that think the gifts have all ceased. How can they be prophetic? Because a church beats me. So church leadership carries a responsibility. To take the prophetic on board and work out how to action and apply the prophetic within the church for the benefit of all. A good example of that would be our friends down at Hope, down here, where there were prophetic words, two words brought on different occasions, but very similar, talking about becoming a, a city of refuge, a safe place for people who are hurting or in danger or whatever. And so the elders, leaders, got together and worked out what that would look like in practice as a church. So there is responsibility at that level to work through the way this is going to happen. Are we preaching and taking practical action in a way that we live and act in a way that would make no sense unless Jesus is king and his kingdom really were arriving here and now? Okay? Okay. So, I'm going to summarize and then hand back to Nancy. All right? Firstly, be natural. You know, I've heard people who come with a prophetic and so on, and there's a, a, they put on airs and graces and voices that they don't normally have. God made us as we are. And if we're simply taking on board stuff that God is suggesting to us and passing it on, we are who we are. There's no need for airs and graces. Be natural. We, we honour God in so doing. That's how he made us. Sense the right time, time or place. I guess some others would call that reading the room. Okay? No matter where we are. At work, whatever. So at work, in some companies, you're not allowed to proselytise. You're not allowed to talk the gospel to people during working hours or when you're supposed to be working. Well, honour that as well. But you've got conference rooms or car parks, lunch times, coffee breaks. Okay? Be submitted to godly leaders. They have extra responsibilities before God for leading the church. And I've said, godly leaders actually honor the prophetic. You often read in the scripture about Jesus doing certain things to fulfill the prophets. They went out, he went out of his way to fulfill. And, and the challenge, I guess, is as a church, are we going out of our way to fulfill the prophetic? Open question. Avoid heavy or very directional words. Uh, what do I mean by that? You know, God's telling me that you need to move to Newcastle. Okay? No, he's not, not really. But you know, but that sort of thing. You, know, you might like Newcastle, I don't know. Newcastle, way, eh? Um, okay. So, yeah, it can be very heavy. And I've had people knocking on my door in the past when I was seriously ill with cancer, well, stomach, uh, bowel cancer, saying, I don't believe God is, you know, I don't. Uh, God is telling me that you need to avoid surgery and pray about it. Yeah, right, I'm not getting that. Okay? Because God was the one that had exposed the rogue polyp ten years before that and kept it in check. So, there we go. I mean, all sorts of things can happen. Right? If you have dreams, visions, or words that are going to be quite long, write it out. And submit it. Okay? And wait for leaders or whoever you're submitting it to to actually come back to you and actually take it on board and say, We're not feeling this at the moment, but you know, we'll put it on the back burner for a while, we'll consider it maybe in a year's time. Or whatever. Not everything you bring will necessarily take off, but if that's what you think God's saying, then bring it. Use language that's easy to understand and be aware of cultural aspects as well. If you're in a room full of Muslims and you're sharing God's prophetic words with them, for goodness sake, don't put your feet up on the table. It's insulting. Okay. Yeah, and use language that's easy to understand. Don't try to impress with your wonderful terms like you know, post-millennial or whatever. You know what I mean? Just use simple language that people can understand. Live a prophetic life wherever you are and whoever you're with. By that I mean carry these things forward. Grace, mercy, hope, love, joy. Be there for people. Be very cautious over personal prophecies. Particularly with people who might be struggling with, say, fertility. God's telling me that you're going to have a baby by this time next year. That can be so hurtful. Uh, You know, births, marriages, deaths, that sort of stuff. And also, as a church, through godly leaders, but also outside as well, be aware and very wary of false prophets who can speak truth, but from wrong motivation or beliefs. Okay? Uh, I do have, and the other piece of paper I said i got, is a list of things by means of which are scriptures that we can use to test the prophetic. Again, I've got a number of copies I'll put them on the piano. If you're really interested in all that, again, all the references. But I don't want to major on the negative side of false prophetic. So where does this come back to for us? Particularly in you know, living a prophetic life and doing all the things to live the kingdom way. I'll we'll finish just after this. So when God put Adam and Eve in the garden... What were they there for? Well, okay, part of God's creation, wonderful creation, but his instructions were to tend and care for the garden. And that, I believe, personally, is like a, a biblical ordinance for us to be doing the same, to care for God's creation. Now, there are big people, you know, as part of, I think, come on, on all of us. So we might do our bit by buying the fair trade goods or recycling properly or whatever else it is. We might think it's not gonna make much difference, but you know, as Tesco say, every little helps. Um, But there are some people who are called to a particular mission. Uh, I'm thinking of Colin and Mary Andrews, for example. And by doing that, they're demonstrating God's love and care for the world and also as representatives of God himself, but also of this church. There are other ministries we can be involved in caring for people. And I'm thinking of all those people that are out there. We we prayed for people before. Street pastors, chaplains, food bank, all these things, demonstrating God's love for people. Say so we can all be involved, but there are people that have a special calling. And so to everyone here, including myself, really, it's let's get the antennae up. Okay? And let's just go for it. Listen for what God is saying. Be prepared to act on it wherever we are, whoever we're with. You know, Mandy used to bring the prophetic situation into all sorts of situations, and there were people who didn't like it. And they turned to me and said, can't you shut her up? And I say, no. She's trying to bring hope into a world which is not full of hope. And I'm not going to stop her doing that. Okay. Isn't that part of our job? All of us? As a church, what's the message coming out from the church here? Is it living as though Christ is here? Okay. There we go, Nancy. I'll pass back to you.